You're listening to KTO News Juno at 104.3 FM. The following is a broadcast of Mudrooms, Juno's live storytelling event. The seven personal stories you are about to hear were told at the Kunik Hidi Northern Light United Church on November 14, 2023. Co-hosts for the evening were Crystal Briette and Taylor Beard. The theme for the event was Growing Pain. Cancer Connection was our nonprofit recipient, and live music was performed by Dara Rialtos. So our theme tonight is growing pains. So that could be, oh, my bones hurt. Why do my bones hurt? Or that could be like, oh, my business grew. Or, oh my gosh, I had kids and did not expect this. It can be all sorts of things. Um, Crystal, what were you, what's your growing pain story? My growing pain story is I didn't have dental insurance growing up because that's expensive, and so I didn't have it. And when I got my first big girl job when I was about 20 years old, I had dental insurance. So I'm like, I'm going to go to the dentist. So I went to the dentist, and he told me that I still had my baby canines. At 20 years old, still baby canines. My adult canines were actually impacted in the roof of my mouth. And if I didn't do anything, those adult canines would eventually pop out my two front teeth. So my options at that point were to get my baby teeth removed and my canine teeth also removed and get implants, or better, more Hannibal Lecter-style option is we could put braces, rip my baby teeth out, and put chains on my canine teeth, which were in the roof of my mouth, to slowly pull them down into place. And before we did that, we had to do what's called a palate expander, which you do a lot if you're 14 or 15. I was 20, so my palate was actually already fully fused, so we cracked it open with a nice little metal gadget, cracked it open, pulled my teeth down. $15,000 later, I have this beautiful smile. Oh, man. I don't ever need to go through that. I, don't, I think most of us are like, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was rough. Anyways, what's your growing pain story? I'm going to go with the kid's story. So I remember um, the first time that my bedroom was actually immaculately clean after having kids. I remember walking in and being like, yeah, this is awesome. And because, you know, when you have kids, like, you can't keep up with stuff. And the minute that I thought, yeah, this is awesome, my son Otis ran in and jumped up on the bed like, yeah, mom. And I was like, yeah, what's up, man? And he proceeded to take his dirty diaper off and rodeo whip it above his head. And the room was no longer clean. And I was like, "Ah, this is my moment to practice all my yoga breathing so I don't kill you. And I I breathed for a long time. And yeah, that was one of those like, hey, this is painful, and I didn't expect this, and super fun. So our f- first storyteller is Ramona Freeborn. Ramona grew up in the Pacific Northwest and has since lived in New York, Los Angeles, Seattle, Las Vegas, and several locations in Alaska. Growing up and working in And working as various roles in the entertainment industry, she prefers to view life as a series of wild adventures. She does her best to live by the ethos of her musical side, Dion Box, which is no fear, no regret. Please welcome up Ramona Freeborn.
So when I was living in Seattle, I was about to move to Las Vegas. I was really nervous. I've moved to tons of places, obviously, but for some reason, this move had me really nervous. And so my friend invited me to sing a couple songs at this like renegade rave on top of a mountain where you just bring a generator and make your own rave. So I thought, okay, cool, like this will give me a moment in nature, I'll like reconnect with myself, it'll be all magical and I'll feel all whole and I can really pull this move off, I'll be great. So I looked up at the sky and the universe, I was like, okay universe, please show me a very magical night to make me feel confident about myself and this move. So I got in my tiny little Geo Metro, packed my tiny little bag of overnight stuff in my tent and went to the gas station. I only had 35 bucks to my name, so I went in and paid for my gas, went back out, realized I had given the attendant the wrong pump number. Another man was pumping my precious $35. (laughs) So I'm fierce sweating. I walk over to this guy, I'm like, look, I'm so sorry, I explained the situation. He's really nice and just gives me 40 bucks cash. Okay, so I made $5. This was a, a debacle, but we're moving on. I fill up my tank, I head out to the Wenatchee, mountain range, and all I have is a GPS address for this. It's just on top of a mountain somewhere. And I start going up the mountain about 100 miles out from where I started, and there's no cell service up there. So my location isn't updating. So that's a little worrisome, but I'm seeing like these little markers in the trees, and so I'm like, oh, cool, they left a little trail. So I'm following this trail. And it keeps going and it keeps going and right about when I realize that probably this is not what I, these are forestry markers and I should turn around. As soon as I think that, the road underneath me crumbles and my car slides partially down the mountain and gets caught on some trees. So now I'm by myself <laughs> trying, I had a moment where I had to try really hard not to cry. Uh, I don't know where, I, nobody knows where I am in fact. Uh, so I put, I put literally my big girl boots on And, okay, I'm going to hike down this mountain until I find another living soul to help me get my little backpack in case I have to spend the night. And I'm jogging down this mountain just hoping I find a person and not a bear. And after about 45 minutes or so, I find this little camper van pulled off to the side of the road. And I'm just praying that there's some nice people in there. I knock on the door, and it's this lovely older couple that had just sat down to dinner. And I apologize. I'm like, oh, can you please give me a ride to the nearest town or something so I can try and figure this out? So they give me a ride to town. It is a campsite at the bottom of the mountain. But I luck out because this campsite is full of all these off-roaders. So I'm like, oh, cool, just leave me here. I'll, I'll find somebody to help me. So I make my rounds, and there's tons of Jeeps with winches, but um, everybody's been drinking. So now I'm fear sweating again. There's one campsite left. I finally get to it, and I plead my case, and there's this one guy that had just gotten there again, just sat down to his dinner, and he agrees to help me. He and his buddy put me in the back of his Jeep, and we're driving up the mountain. I'm hoping that I memorized all the turns because it's like spaghetti up there to get back to my car. His car is burning so much oil that the floorboards in the back seat are so hot they're melting my shoes, so I'm like trying to take turns. We finally find my car. They rig it up with the winch and a bunch of trees and finally get it back up on the road. I drive back down to the bottom of the mountain and I'm just like, I gotta gotta try one more time to find this show. (laughs) So I go back to the base of the mountain where I started and I go back up and it's dark out by now, which kind of helped out. So I finally get to the top of the mountain and in the distance I can hear bass. 
And so I turn off on that little side chute, and I finally find this renegade rave. And I'm just, I'm sitting there, I turn off my car, I look at the clock, it's been 12 hours since I left that gas station, it's been a whole ordeal. And I think, okay, cool, just, I'm going to get out, I'm going to have a breather, I brought my one little tall boy with me, I'm going to like relax for a minute, just don't do anything stupid. My exact thoughts, I get out of the car, and I locked my keys in the car. (laughs) So... Now I'm running around this rave where I know no one, in the dark, trying to make friends that can break into my car without breaking a window, which is a really choice group of people I'm trying to connect with. And uh, nobody has wire hangers. Nobody uses wire hangers anymore, so of course nobody has a wire hanger. So now we're trying to rig sticks with, like, camping supplies and duct tape to get them through the window. And after about 45 minutes of that, we finally... We finally did it. My car got unlocked. I get my jacket, which I didn't have either. Get my one little beer, and I sit there, I relax. I went, I sing my few songs. And at that moment, I look up at the sky and I realize, thanks, universe. I was really looking for some sort of like cool like mushroom journey or something, maybe. But <laughs> instead, instead, what I got was the lesson that I'll be fine in Vegas if I can get through this. <laughs> I'll I'll figure it out, whatever it takes. That's my story. Okay, next we have Ruth Johnson. Ruth moved to Alaska in 1982, became a banker, then a mother, then a nursing home administrator, then she retired and became a grandma. But there was this four-year period in her life in a tiny place called Myers Chuck that taught her more about life than anything learned in, the, in a classroom. Life lessons learned through trial by fire, shared with good neighbors, all 20 of them. Let's welcome up Ruth Johnson. So in 1986, my family had the opportunity to move to Myers Chuck. Now, Myerschuk is a tiny village, a trolling village primarily, about 40, 45 miles north of Ketchikan. We were going there because my husband had been hired to build a fish hatchery. Well, at the time, I wasn't working full-time. I was mostly taking care of our three-year-old son, and since we lived aboard a 60-foot behemoth wood boat in the harbor, all we had to do was untie from the dock and take our home with us. So it sounded like a grand adventure. Well, on the way to Myerschuk, the marine biologist who'd hired Steve to build the fish hatchery talked me into running the family commercial enterprise in Myerschuk. It was like the only commercial enterprise. It was the the fish buying station, grocery store, post office, fuel dock, all in one little show. How could I say no? Sounded like a blast. So I get to Myerschuk, and um, I know I'm on a steep learning curve, and Betty Campbell, the little old lady who's probably a few years younger than I am right now, um, schools me on how to inventory the store. We learn how to become fish buyers. But Betty's having some angst because she thinks we've gotten there too late to order the fireworks. And I'm like, wait, fireworks? Why do we sell fireworks? Apparently, all the fishermen in southern southeast love to come to Myerschuk and spend a lot of money on bottle rockets. So I ordered the catalog. The catalog arrives. Does it have shiny color pictures to give me a clue what I'm doing? No. It's about an inch of that old green bar dot matrix paper, remember that stuff, with long lists of 
absolutely ridiculous names. So before I knew it, I was placing this massive order for products with names like Opening Flower, Happy Bird, and my all-time favorite, Monkeys Violate Heaven's Gate. <sighs> yeah. I spent $10,000 on fireworks. I had not spent that much money on a car at that point in my life. But the fireworks came. The next project was for Steve to take our boat to town uh, and pick up the fireworks. And did I mention it's a wood boat? So he has the forecastle stuffed full of enormous cardboard boxes of the fireworks. And the foredeck right above is stacked with 55-gallon barrels of gasoline and dozens of propane tanks. That's his all-time favorite freight run, the floating bomb up Clarence Strait. Well, sorry, no exciting story there. It, uh, he got home, we became fireworks salespeople, and thank God we recovered our investment, and Steve got to repeat the trip several more times, actually, because um, we kind of fell in love with the community, and we stayed for four full fishing seasons, so he got to repeat that trip every year. Actually, that year we sold out before the 4th of July, and he got to do it twice that year. <laughs> but anyway, so to stay there through the winter, Steve would have to work sometimes in the winter, um, and he would do construction projects on Prince of Wales Island. And one year, he fell off a roof and shattered his wrist, so he was out of commission. We are wondering how we're going to make it to spring, and... Uh, lovely neighbors in Myerschuk offered to teach me how to become a longliner. I was going to be a deckhand on a blackout trip in early April off the west coast of Baranoff Island. But it's only 10 days, right? I can do that. Well, it was a lot more than 10 days because it was a very stormy early April and rolling storms kept shutting down the fishery. So before the, it was before IFQs, but there still there was a quota for the year and anyway, one of those storms rolled up, and we were way too far offshore to make it into Port Alexander, which is where we were fishing out of to tie up for the night. And we ran into Little Puffin Bay and anchored safely, we thought, for the night. Well, it turned out to not be the case. Because in the middle of the night or the wee hours of the morning, um, a huge gust of wind came up and slammed our boat so hard that we drug anchor and slammed into the nearest boat in the anchorage. There were several of us. It sounded like an explosion. We all flew out of bed wearing only what we'd gone to bed in, what we were sleeping in. We come up on deck into the black of night, pouring rain, wind, and these boats are we're just wobbling back and forth and smashing into each other. And we're both rigged with these big trolling poles coming up both sides of the boat. And the poles are sometimes doing this, but sometimes doing that. And in one of those, um, our trolling pole on that side snapped off, fell between the boats, taking with it miles of stainless steel rigging gear, drifting aft towards the propeller. And... So the captain immediately assessed the situation, gave us all jobs. He was on the deck trying to pull the anchor with our hydraulic windlass. Um, I was told to stay in the wheelhouse and keep us off the beach when we were set free. And the rest of the crew was trying to get that rigging out of the water. Well, the first thing that went wrong was the anchor was tangled with the anchor of the other boat, so um, it, it was not coming up. So the captain went down below decks and brought out the world's largest bolt cutters. They were like this big. And he comes out, 
bam, no longer have an anchor, gone. But we were also free. I don't know how long this all took. Time sort of stood still as we were standing there in our t-shirts, somehow not cold. But eventually, we did get all of the rigging out of the water. Um, I managed to keep us off the beach. I had the radar screen on the largest setting, and it still looked like we were only a quarter of an inch from the beach. So, so I had this eighth of an inch comfort zone, and the skipper had told me to not engage the, not put the boat in gear until I absolutely had to for risk of the propeller winding in the gear. So. Anyway, it worked. I kept us off the beach. We got the rigging back on board. And for the rest of that night, because we no longer had an anchor, we just had to point the boat into the weather and jog into it for the night until we had enough daylight and calm enough seas to head into Sitka for repairs, which we did. And we all took a deep breath and went back out fishing again, having learned that we could manage a lot more fear than we ever knew before. And the good news is I got back to Myers Chuck just in time to restock the opening flower happy birds and those naughty monkeys violating heaven's gate. <laughs> okay, next up we have Liz Villanueva. It might be the I might be a case of three strikes you're out, but she's hoping for more of a third times a charm reaction. A decade ago, Miss V stood on the mudroom stage to welcome her, welcome her 40s. In 2017, a reality check made her choose to share about the power and importance of play. Now at the fabulous age of 50, recently retired and with an empty nest, Liz Villanueva, is spending time with her husband and dogs and living life doing whatever else she wants. Welcome up, Liz. Uh, growing up, I was fairly lucky. In fact, I still feel fairly lucky in life. Um, I was, however, one of those kids that got chicken pox twice and mono twice. Uh, two viruses, you should only get once if you do, but other than that, I think I was pretty healthy and physically fit and, you know, normal. Uh, you can imagine my surprise and the surprise of others when I was 32, I got colorectal cancer, and not the reason why I'm doing it for this time, but thank you for the support for the Cancer Connection. And they cut it out of me. I was cured, which of course led me to telling crude jokes like, ha ha, now we know what was up my butt. <laughs> but um, really, that was a way that I could handle what had happened and make jokes and laugh about something maybe scary. Maybe I didn't want to deal with it, but it was gone. Um, when I was growing up, when I was young, we lived in North Pole, Alaska, and it was cold. That was the first eight years of my life. I was still healthy, maybe a few bouts of pneumonia, but that was the dry weather. Um, I, of course, liked to complain, though, and I found many things to complain about. I itched all the time, like, 
I felt like I was wearing wool. And back then in the 70s, wool was itchier than cashmere and all the nice polar tech or whatever they have now that's nice wool. It was itchy and um, I couldn't escape the feeling. I remember being washed in oatmeal, um, calamine lotion. I remember one time my mom sat me outside in the cold, snowy yard. I had a snowsuit and scarf, I was bundled up, but I don't know if it was the temperature will make you feel better or she needed to break. Um, probably both. Uh, one time at this Fairbanks area, I went to the doctor and I told them, this machine you're using to check my lungs, it's hurting me, it's stinging me, it's like shocking me. They would put these white patches on my chest and on my back and it had wires to this white box and gauges and lights and dials and he looked at me like, no, that's not happening and we've heard about your itching and we know you're making it up. You just don't like what is happening and you're scared and you're fine. In fact, look, nothing's happening on the machine. She's fine. We then, a few years later, moved to uh, Juneau and temperate rainforest, a little bit older. I was faster than the gnats, which I don't think anyone's faster than mosquitoes, but... Uh, I was feeling better about my body, my life, and I was pretty healthy. Um, I didn't itch, but I yearned, and I still complained. I thought that was normal. Some people probably thought it was not. Um, but, uh, zoom ahead, let's see a couple years and um, after, let's see, I think it was during the, out, uh, right after the cancer, okay? I started getting that tickly feeling in my back again and that itchy feeling. And this time I had a better vocabulary, more life experience to say, it's not just itchy. <laughs> It's more like bugs are crawling underneath my skin and they can't escape. I went to the doctors, they took tests. I was free of disease, free of cancer. Everything was fine. Maybe I was just a little bit anxious because of everything that had been happening. I was now a bride. I was a mother of two. I was um, a full-time working person, teacher, all of that. And I accepted, yeah, I'm normal. This is going to go away. I was also a little bit more in control of that feeling. I could put aside the itch or the crawl or the whatever. Um, so in 2017, 16, 17, last time I was here, I had a seizure. And scared the heck out of a lot of people. Um, but it was the, besides having a few more seizures, uh, there was no reason for those seizures and I was still disease-free, cancer-free. In 2021, 
we had a really, really cold winter, like Fairbanks style. Um, it got below zero for two weeks in a row, more than once. So when my foot didn't wake up in the morning, I was like, yeah, it's just having a hard time getting warm. I thought coffee and a regular schedule will make it better. It did for a little while. Uh, now, when I wake up, my hands let me know they're a part of my body. Um, if you've ever had that feeling of sleeping on your arm or your foot or something and it starts to wake up and your blood is circulating and that little agitation feeling, it burns, it goes away quickly. It doesn't go away anymore. Uh, I went to the doctor and took some more tests. <laughs> they didn't hurt this time. They did, though, tell me I have MS, and um, that there was a little bit of a pain to hear. My pain will continue, but I can control it a little bit more. Our next speaker is Shauna Riddensdale. Shauna was born in Massachusetts and raised in Maine, but chooses not to admit to anyone her Massachusetts origins, for she would rather be labeled a maniac than a masshole. <laughs> Very understandable. She came to Juneau to work for the Forest Service and did zero research prior to. While on her layover in Anchorage, she asked her bartender what he thought of Juno, to which he replied, Oh man, you're in trouble. She wants to give her mom a shout out and also apologize to her in advance for this story. I'm very intrigued. Uh, Shauna, welcome up to the stage. So, there I am. I'm 17 years old, and I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, all my friends around me seem to have it figured out. They know what career they want, they know what college they want, and I just want to keep hanging out with my friends. I, I'm so lost. But if there is one thing I knew about myself growing up, it's that I hate hospitals. I mean, my mom had to drag me by the hair to get me to any doctor's appointments, shots, exams, even the smell of hospitals freaks me out. Hate it. And so my mom, she's a respiratory therapist in my hometown in Maine. And, you know, despite us all knowing this all my life, she came up to me one day and said, Shauna, crazy idea I just came up with. How have you never thought about working in a hospital? And I thought, Mom, crazy. Can't believe I didn't think of that myself. No, are you insane? So she goes on to explain 
no, 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 listen. Just try job shadowing an occupational therapist. They just help people stretch after they've had a surgery or if they've been hospitalized for a long period of time. You're not going to be alongside a surgeon. It's not going to be bloody or gross. Just don't knock it until you try it. Just trust your mother. <laughs> and so being at the age that I was and willing to do literally anything to get my mom off my tail, I obliged and I set up the appointment for later on that month. Now let's not forget, I am 17 years old. I am like invincible. Nothing can touch me. And I don't know what y'all were doing when you were 17 years old, but I was freaking partying. <laughs> I was partying my little took us off. So just so happens that the night before I had to be up at 9 a.m. for the job shadow was the first time I decided to try alcohol. <laughs> and so... But despite that, I swear, I woke up that morning like I sprung out of bed. I was perfectly fine, ready to go. I'm telling my friends, like, I don't know what you're talking about, hangover. What is that? I feel great, in fact. And I'm explaining this, not realizing I could still be drunk. <laughs> and so I show up on time, and I have to coach myself in my head throughout this whole day that we're going from patient to patient and I'm just telling myself like Shauna just make it to three o'clock you have done harder things you can do this but slowly I'm like my headache's getting a little worse and I'm like oh I could really use some water um <laughs> starting to get a little tired and so it's about one o'clock now, and we get to this patient's room, and she's older, she's probably like in her 80s, and I remember I was standing in the corner, and the OT is doing the communication with the patient, and she's like, okay, so-and-so, we're gonna, you know, change your gown and get you in your regular clothes so we can do your stretches for the day. And I'm like, standing in the corner, I'm like, yeah, we're gonna do your stretches, it's gonna be fine. So she props her up on the edge of the bed, and she starts taking off her gown. And there was nothing, 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 nothing. And then her boobs were at her hips, and I woke up on the floor. <laughs> I woke up on the floor. So upon waking up on the floor, I like open my eyes. I'm like, the first thing I see is this older woman. Her jaw is wide open and she's making direct eye contact with me as we both realize at the same time, oh my God, you just passed out at my old woman's saggy titties. <laughs> so... You know, I'm like, the nurses are rushing to my aid. I am now the patient. It is disgustingly embarrassing. And my mom, of course, is working that day, so she gets paged over. They're like, Kim, your daughter just passed out in the patient's wing. So she busts in, and, you know, they get me on a hospital bed and get me a little juice box, and all is relatively well. And my mom is super adamant about wanting to run some blood tests. She's like, why don't we just do... 
y'all already know. <laughs> They're like, why don't we just do it? I don't know. You never know what could be going on with you. And I didn't say it out loud, but I'm like, if they take any piece of my blood right now, they're going to know how much alcohol is in my system. My mom is not the type of mom to know how much alcohol is in my system. And so after begging her to go home and just sleep off this miserable day, uh, she lets me. But, you know, if there's anything I take away, it's not just that, you know, if you have some drinkies, you should probably make sure you don't work the next day or immediately in the morning. But it's also that I think my mom knew. I think she had a little inkling of what I was up to those days. And I think she wanted it to bite me in the butt, but didn't, wasn't able to catch me in the act. And I think in that moment she was satisfied in knowing she didn't have to do it herself. That all it took was a pair of saggy titties. Thank you. Listening to Mudrooms, Juno's live storing event on KTO Juno at 104.3 FM. These stories were told on November 14th, 2023. The theme was Growing Pain. If you'd like to tell a story at a future event, check out our schedule at mudrooms.org. up we have Stacy Ulver. Originally from the Pacific Northwest, uh, she is now a girl now grown into a woman with a 30-year on and off connection to the Southeast Alaska. She considers Juna her full-time home for the last seven years. She is a Jill of many trades with the experience of changing oil in a 65 Mustang, developing a hearing clinic in an ENT office, and teaching her kids to use a KitchenAid mixer. This is an important thing, it's dangerous. A storyteller here, and a partner, new empty nest parent, community volunteer outside. She has the grit to find joy when plans go awry. Welcome to the stage, Stacy Sawatsky Ulver. It happened on a very pleasant Pacific Northwest spring day when the sun is out longer than it's hidden behind the clouds. And you start to dream of planting seeds with the anticipation of juicy cherry tomatoes, crunchy green beans, and very orderly green bounty. My story has a setting of a small, beloved garden, a group of very active, loving toddler preschools, 
and a grand, singular vision of a meaningful, lifelong, memory-making gardening experience. <laughs> gardening has always been part of my life, I'll admit, as mostly an observer and a beneficiary. Some of my favorite childhood memories are of a terraced garden in my grandparents' yard in eastern Washington and the other grandparents' huge raspberry patch and containers of big, fat, juicy tomatoes. Going into adulthood, I was a beneficiary of many a bag of cherry tomatoes and beans when we visited my parents and my daughters helped pick. This gardening experience grew as my relationship grew with my husband, Barry, and we had our first home together in West Seattle. And we had this beautiful little four by four uh, foot square garden with lots of squash and zucchini. And as life went on, we moved up further up north. We weren't to Alaska yet. We made a little stop in, near Cedro Woolley, Washington. And we needed a little garden there. And we found a skinny little spot, the best part on that sloped lawn. And our children were there. And part of our rich life was this wonderful play group that we had from babes in arms. And the time had been going by and wanted to keep enriching experience with that. Kids were starting to all grow their own ways. They'd be in kindergarten soon. We didn't know how much longer we were all going to be together. So I had a plan. We were going to garden together. Yes. I would invite everybody over. And the kids would each have their own packets of seeds. And they'd have their own garden tools. And it would be orderly and beautiful. <laughs> and they would all take turns, one by one, their precious little hands putting seeds in the soil. Can you picture it? I sure did. And the day came, and the, my mama friends brought their lovely kids over, and my daughters were playing. And this day started as they usually do. They came in, juice boxes were out, snack was had, and they went running to the playset. Of course, I'd had this plan that I would have a box, and I would have everything set out just right. So after the playtime was over, then we'd go over to the garden and we'd sit down and we'd talk about it and each kid would go up and have their turn. My friends asked me, Stacy, do you need any help? Because I didn't have anything out yet. I mean, I, I believe I managed to have it all in a cardboard box near the garden. I, ah, no, I've got it. I've got it. This is mine. It's my vision. I want this to all come together. And so as we were having this conversation and we're listening to the sounds of the kids in the playset to the right, something shifted. All the sound of the kids was now on the left. Hmm. We turned, and I must have had an audible, ah! My plan was gone. They were everywhere. Seed packets were opened, tools were out of the box, kids were in and out of the dirt. 
And in that moment, which I'm sure was just a moment, but it gave me enough time to think, should I shout, no? Should I shout, stop? This isn't right? But I didn't. I paused. In that moment, I chose to just let go, see what happens. And in my best preschool mommy volunteer voice, I asked, hey, friends, what's going on? And I'm not sure which, which child it was. They all blurred together. But there was a very clear voice. Stacy, we're helping you. <laughs> and they did. Any angst or pain of not having my plan, it was gone. I had so much joy just watching them play. And yeah, that garden was, was a mess. But it was a green, glorious mess with cherry tomatoes here and carrots all over, but we still created memories, we still had fun, and I just love the joy of letting go. Thank you very much. Our next storyteller, Eve Soutier, I hope I said that right, she came to Alaska from Vermont in 2006 and realized that this was where she needed to be. I've had a similar realization, so I feel that. She's been here long enough that she is no longer fit for the lower 48 living style. I feel that too. You can usually find her hiking in the woods with her dog and on a good day eating what she's found out there. I do not feel that. <laughs> I generally make mistakes when, that's, when it comes to that. Her likes include foggy mornings, birdsong, and the joy her dog finds in a brand new squeaky toy. She dislikes referring to any older, to any older age as the new 30. I feel that. Um, because it's not. And she'll fight you over that one. Let's welcome up Eve. Menarchy. Sounds a lot like malarkey. <laughs> Mostly because of how it's handled in today's society. Menarchy is your first period. And today's society, you know, we have women's stuff and blue liquid on pads on TV and the movie Carrie. <laughs> but it's been studied and it's been talked about ad nauseum. And so I'm actually not here to talk about that growing pain. I'm here to talk about the slow slide into menopause. <laughs> For me, it started with the night sweats. Those of you who've had them, you know. You wake up and you wonder who in their right mind turned the heat up to 120 degrees. And you're in a pool of your own sweat. And you throw off the covers, and it's not enough. It doesn't help. So you jump out of bed. <laughs> that doesn't really help. So you take off all your clothes. Still not enough. So I ran outside, naked. <laughs> Helped a little bit. You get used to it. The person in bed with you, if you have somebody in bed with you, also learns to live with it. The dog learns to take advantage of it. This whole going outside at 2 AM, naked, dog loves it. The flip side to all this sweating is that 
when it's over, you get cold, so you learn to layer. Now, I wear enough clothing usually to work so that I could survive a night exposed with no shelter in Fairbanks in the middle of winter. <laughs> but when I have a hot flash, off comes the clothes. And I've had coworkers look at me and wonder, is she gonna be naked soon? Because you are a literal Matreshka doll of clothing. That's not the only thing that changes. Your period becomes less periodic. My period used to be so regular, I could plan a vacation around it. I knew what was going to happen, when was going to happen, how long it was going to be. I was able to pack for two years of menstrual supplies accurately when I went for Peace Corps. Now, I deal with this inconsiderate, mercurial, drunken Aunt Flo who shows up whenever the heck she wants, stays for as long as she wants, and wreaks as much havoc as she cares to, then leaves inexplicably until she returns again two days later. Or two months, who knows? Then there's the hair. I used to have peach fuzz on my cheeks, and my chin, and my, my, my upper lip. Now I get whiskers. And I know some of you younger people are thinking whiskers, oh, long hair everywhere. No, this is not a long hair. This is a whisker. This is thick. It is pokey. It is stiff. It is a whisker. <laughs> they also grow at lightning speed. You could pluck one out, and 12 hours later, it's back. And then, as you're plucking, you realize, like, how did it get so long? Where is it hiding? It's like a roll of toilet paper just <laughs> curled up under your lip. Like, how? And so, one, one day, I was plucking a whisker, and I had this thought. I am either becoming a cat or a witch. <laughs> so, the odds of me becoming a cat are probably really, really, really slim, and as delightful as that sounds, it's probably not going to happen. But a witch, a witch, that has possibilities. Hag, crone, weird sister, witch. I mean, these are women with power. These are independent women. These are women who know stuff. These are women who strike fear in the hearts of grown men and children alike, and that seems pretty awesome. And so, if I have to grow old, I am going to be a witch. All this is to say, menopause is really lonely. When you're going through a menarche, you have friends to talk to, and um, all your friends are at the same developmental age. You've got your mom, you've got school teachers, you've got the book, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. <sighs> menopause, you don't have a lot of that, and so you have to kind of build your own squad, your coven of women. But not all women of a certain age are witches. And I think it's because it's, it's taboo in this country to become old. And so there are a lot of women who fight it, and they're not going to talk to you about it. But then there are the women who, who, who will. Now, I don't have my mom. She died in 2020. And so she would have been a go-to person, especially because I know she was one powerful witch. When I was a teenager, she was having a hot flash. She used to call them power surges. <laughs> she was having a hot flash. And I was making fun of her. And she looked at me and put a hex on me, and she said, I hope when you're my age, the same thing happens to you. <laughs> so I recently found uh, a, a, a 
another ally. I, I saw a friend's mother, and this friend I've had since third grade, and her mother, I you know, haven't really ever given her much thought, but uh, I saw her, and I was exclaiming about how hot I was in a situation where I shouldn't have been hot. Turns out she's a witch too. It was great. I guess what I have to say is this. If you see your neighbor lady outside at two in the morning, naked with her dog, don't mess with her. She's going to be a powerful witch someday. Also, be a peach and don't call the cops, because this is hard enough. Thank you. So our next speaker is Joe Kiefer. He is a writer, naturalist, and educator, initially hailing from Columbus, Ohio. He appreciates hearing about people's extremely specific hobbies. I'm very curious here. Finding unexpected art in strange places and listening to the unique squeal of the Juno Airport baggage claim carousel. Yes. Baggage claim carousel. Yes, I heard this the other night. It is very unique. It's somebody needs oil. All right, let's welcome up Joe Kiefer. I'm 11 years old. I'm sitting on the couch, cozied up with my family, and we're watching the news. It's kind of a 60-minute style story. And the newscaster says something to the effect of, what you're about to witness is a crime. Pay attention to the details. See what you can remember. And the scene cuts to a classroom. There's a professor standing at the front of the class teaching. And on the table in front of the professor is a purse comically stuffed full of cash, just splitting at the steam, it's full, full of cash. And the door bursts open, and someone runs in and grabs a purse and leaves the room. And the newscaster comes back on and says, what do you remember? And my sister and I, we're kind of debating the story. I, I think that the, the robber had blonde hair. She's convinced he was wearing a baseball hat. They play the tapes back. We, we were both wrong. And the newscaster kind of explains that when we witness crimes and we have things happen like this that happen quickly, we often don't remember the details. And this, this lesson sticks with me. Um, I'm 11 years old, but, but this, this sticks with me that someone, you know, I, I might witness a crime and someone might ask me about the details. And, and this kind of informs the way I live my life, as strange as that sounds. And so I'm just kind of ready. If, if something happens, I'm going to observe, and uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to watch the details. I'm going to keep the tapes rolling. I'm 35 years old, and I'm at SeaTac Airport. I've got a few hours before my flight back to Juneau, so I'm killing time by walking in and out of all the stores and just looking at things and kind of just wasting time walking around. And I walk into the Filson store. And Filson is this kind of, if you haven't been there, it's this like, it's in, it's in the end terminal and it's this extremely expensive workwear that you would never actually work in because it's like $500 for a flannel, that kind of thing. And I'm looking around and inside the store there's, um, there's a cashier kind of in the back corner watching the video on their phone. And there's this guy looking at this big wall of baseball hats. And he's looking up at them, and I'm kind of drawn to it, like, oh, maybe he knows something about these hats. You know, maybe these are great hats. And, and I look at him, and I see him grab one off the shelf, 
And I see him grab another one, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and he bundles them up, and out the store he goes. <laughs> I'm shocked. You know, I just witnessed this, this bit of petty theft. And I look over to the cashier, and um, they're still watching their phone, no, no idea. And that, that newscast, that story from my youth, just clicks into place, and I realize, I need to observe this crime. I need to watch this criminal. And, and I, I don't have any, like, desire to turn this person in. I'm not looking to um, try to save Filson, this merchandise. I, I honestly think what he's doing is pretty punk rock. I kind of admire it. <laughs> but I, I want to learn, and I, I have this feeling that I can learn something, or there's some details that I could get from, from tailing this guy. And so I leave the store, too. I'm heading down the escalator, and I, I see him, and, and I follow him from a distance, and I follow him onto the, the tram that goes between the terminals. And I decide, I just, I just need to understand a little bit about this person. And whenever they get off the tram, I'm not going to follow them. I'm not going to be weird about this. I'm just going <laughs> to observe them after they committed this crime. And so I, I get in the tram just a, like a few bodies away, and I start my, my detail observation, you know. And I look at him, okay, so he's, he's got this blonde hair, and he's just, he's just jamming a Filson hat on his head. He's just pulled the tag out, and he's kind of stuffing the rest in his bag. And, you know, he's got glasses similar to mine, so I noticed that. And, and my eyes are drawn down to the floor where he's wearing these, these extremely bright yellow Crocs. And I, I kind of, like, paint this little mental picture of him in my head. And, you know, then the next stop uh, happens, and he gets off the train, and, and that's that. But I feel good about this, this little exercise. I feel like, okay, details observed. <laughs> Who's going to ask me about the crime now? <laughs> And, you know, details are a funny thing. I'm, I'm 36 now, and, and I actually, I find myself struggling to track details, especially as it relates to people and how I know them and their faces and things like that. I, I struggle. Um, we'll go to a party, and, and there'll be someone that I've met before, but I, I can't think of their name, and I can barely remember their face. And this happens to me a lot, and it makes me feel bad. It's, it's not a good feeling. And it kind of just feels like my, my brain might be full, like I've used every space for face and name. And I, I think this actually, this makes sense to me because I think that I've broken a human evolutionary contract, you know, which is that I think that we are designed to, to live in small communities and, and know just a few people very well. And I have worked seasonal jobs across the country and across the planet, and I've spent time with all of these small communities, and I think that I've actually just sort of broken the way we're wired, and, and I think that's why I, I can't remember these details. But either way, every time it happens, I feel bad, and I, I spiral into guilt, and it just feels like this part of growing up that I, um, you know, I don't love, but it's just a reality. So it's a few months later, I'm back in Juneau, and it's Folkfest. And Folkfest is an amazing time, you know. Um, we are on the front end of winter right now. The darkness is creeping in, all of those things. To me, Folkfest feels like the celebration that it's getting a little brighter and spring is in the air and we're just like, you know, there's a celebratory tone to it. And I am at the Crystal and I'm getting a drink. And I go to order a beer and, and you know, someone comes up behind me and says, hey, man, I like your glasses. And... I look at him, and I, I feel like I could recognize him from somewhere, but I, I feel that spiral, that spiral of guilt, you know. Uh, where do I know you, you know, and, and it feels bad. And yeah, like you're maybe picking up on, my, 
eyes are drawn down to the floor, and there are some yellow Crocs. And as I rise, yep, he's complimenting me because he's got the same glasses. And is that a Filson hat I see on his head? And I just cannot believe the serendipity that would bring me to come face to face with the man I creepily observed after he committed petty crime in the Seattle airport. And I want to explain to him so much in this moment. You know, I want to tell him about, oh my gosh, I watched this crime of yours. And, and I, <laughs> I know why you have that hat on. And I just, you know, I want to tell him all this much, this, this, these things. And I also want to tell him, you know, all of these things I'm realizing, like, maybe I don't actually forget everyone's name and face. Maybe I just fill my brain with all sorts of unimportant details, you know. Maybe it's just, maybe it's okay, and maybe I need to reframe it, that, that this is a celebration of abundance for me, that I know, and I'm blessed to know all these people. Of course, it's the middle of a bar and folk fest. So there's no way I'm going to tell him any of that. So instead, you know, um, I just, I look at him and, and I say, thanks, man, I, I like your hat. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think about asking his name, but, you know, I, I don't even bother because I wouldn't remember it anyways. <laughs> and just as a final addendum to the story as I was, as I was rehearsing it and thinking about it, I don't know, but it's, it's entirely possible that this person is in the crowd right now. <laughs> or that you know someone in Juno with yellow Crocs and a great hat collection. And if that's the case, uh, please get in touch because um, I, I've got a great story for that guy. Thank you so much. <laughs> This is KTO News Juno at 104.3 FM. The stories you just heard were recorded live at Mudrooms on November 14, 2023. The theme for the evening was Growing Pain. Cancer Connection was our nonprofit recipient. Live music was performed by Dara Rialtos. Special thanks to Kunich Hidi Northern Light United Church, COPA, and the Rookery for supporting the event. To Alaska Robotics for hosting our website, mudrooms.org. And to KTOO for bringing each mudrooms to listeners like you. Join us at our next event on Tuesday, December 12th. The theme is Changing Your Mind. The program is a production of the Mudroom Storyboard. Alita Buss, Jeff Smith, Kristen Rankin, Crystal Bruette, Summer Koyster, Rich Moniak, Taylor Beard, and me, Skylar Bear. Have a great night.